Good morning, everybody. Hey, if you happen to be a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. We are going to be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. Revelation chapter 2, if you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, please do so. If not, the scriptures are going to be up here on the screen as we go along. There was a man named Eusebius who was a bishop in Syria during the 300s. And he had stirred up the wrath of the uh, Roman emperor Valens. And Valens had, had uh, declared that if he ever got a hold of Eusebius, that, he, that Eusebius would lose all of his property, that he would, uh, he would face banishment from Roman territories, that he would be tortured, and he may even kill him. Nice guy, huh? But the response that Eusebius sent back is what I want you to hear. And I've updated. It's, it's paraphrased, so it sounds like a, you know, modern-day English instead of, you know, somebody speaking in 300s. He said, I'm not afraid of losing anything. I have nothing to lose. I'm not afraid of banishment because heaven's truly my home. He said, I'm not afraid of torture because this body is only temporary. And he said, I'm not afraid of death because only then will I truly be free from sin and sorrow. We started a lesson series last week called The Seven Churches of Revelation. And we looked at Ephesus last week. And we talked about how you can be doing the right things, looking like you're doing the right things, and Jesus still saying you're doing the wrong things. So they were doing the right things, but they were doing it without love. And Jesus said, go back and find your first love, because everything I've called you to do operates through love. This week, we are going to look at the church of Smyrna, and the title of my lesson is Faithfulness Matters. As modern Western Christians, we don't really suffer a lot of persecution like people around the world do. There are places on this planet that this very day, people had to hide to go to church. In the West, sometimes we hide from church. The church at Smyrna knew a lot about persecution. And that's what we're really going to look at today. Smyrna was the most populous city in Asia Minor. Caesar worship began there. Every year, every citizen of Smyrna had to go and they had to sacrifice. And as they sacrificed, they had to declare, Caesar is Lord. Can you see how that could be an, an issue? When you did that, you were given a certificate that said, I've made my sacrifice. Therefore, you were allowed to have a job. There was also a very large and wealthy Jewish population in Smyrna. And they absolutely hated the small Christian church that was there. 
It's a little bit of background, so it'll make a little more sense as we get into this here. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says, To the angel at the church of Smyrna. And let me say this again. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, we talked about the angel, what it meant here, angel. Some people believe that when Jesus said, write to the angels, that he was telling John to, to, to literally write to literal angels. But in my world, Jesus would not have to write a letter to an angel. He'd just tell them, right? I believe that Jesus was having John to write letters Two people. Who were those people? Well, the word angel can also be translated messenger. So I believe when he said, send a letter to the messenger at the church of, he was writing to the leadership. Because the leadership would be the only ones that could do something with what was being written to them. Does that make sense? Okay. Do not go to sleep on me this morning. We watched a video, and I just got sleepy while we were watching it. No. Wake up. Wake up. Jesus ends every one of his letters with, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You going to have ears to hear this morning? Hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. All right. So, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, the words of the first and the last. This is a title, first and last. This is a title, and it's given only to God. In Isaiah 41, 44, and 46 or 48, somewhere in there, it uses this title for God. In Isaiah 44, 6, it says, I am the first. And I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So when Jesus is saying, I am the first and I am the last, he is saying, besides me, there is no God. You hear me? Jesus was making a declaration that he is God. The scripture goes on to say, he who died and came to life, he was reminding the church that they serve a risen Lord. One who was victorious over death, and death could not hold Jesus. And by the way that Jesus was introducing himself, each time we see one of these churches, Jesus introduces himself in a little bit different way. But every way that he introduces himself is exactly what that church needs. You're going to see that Smyrna needed to know that Jesus was the first and the last, that he was alive, that he was present, that he knew exactly what was going on in their lives. So here's the recognition that Jesus brought to them. In verse 9, it says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. I know. The word know right there means full knowledge. It wasn't just that Jesus had heard about it. I mean, if, 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 if somebody had had an accident or something and I told you about it and somebody else tried to tell you, you might go, ah, I know, I know, 
I heard about that. Jesus is not saying I've heard about something. What he is saying is I have full knowledge. In other words, I'm right there with you. I have knowledge because I am seeing it and I'm experiencing it with you. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. This is Jesus' heavenly perspective. He sees in people and sees in you things that we don't even recognize ourselves. See, if we were looking at it with our, our eyes and we looked into the church at Smyrna, we would say, man, they're in poverty. But Jesus is looking beyond the natural and he's saying, you are rich. The word tribulation here. It means a pressing or a pressure. It comes from a, a Roman torture technique where they would slowly lower a boulder onto the victim's chest. Think that would cause some pressure? Yeah. So Jesus is saying, I know your tribulation. I know the pressing that you're going through. I know the distress that you're going through. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. In this world, because we live in this world, you will have times of pressure. You will have times of feeling pressed by things that are going on. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I want you to hear it out of the Amplified Bible. In this world, you will have tribulation and distress and suffering but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. Jesus, what you talking about? I'm feeling pressure. I'm going through something. I'm suffering, and you're saying be happy about it? But there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is affected by the situation. Joy never changes. So when he's saying be filled with joy, we know that Scripture tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. What he's really saying is be filled with me. Be filled with my strength. Be filled with joy. Why? Because I've overcome this world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. I know your tribulation. I know the pressure that you're going through. I know the things that you're going through. But be full of joy. Be full of joy. Be full of joy. And this is the same message that Jesus is bringing to the church at Smyrna. He's saying life happens, but Jesus has already done the heavy work. He's already died. He's already defeated hell. He's already risen from the grave. Whatever he has called us to do, whatever he is asking you to do, 
He's already done the heavy lifting for you. Yes, we will go through times of pressure. Yes, we will go through, through times where it feels like we're suffering. Something's going on in my life that I do not like, that I do not want. You ever been there? Just making sure. Because I feel like I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> we go through these things. But whatever it is, he's saying, I've already got you. I've already got you. There was a man named William Wilberforce. That's quite a name, isn't it? Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, who was a politician in England in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. And he felt like it was his call in life to see that the slave trade in England was abolished. Didn't make him a popular man. In fact, for years, he felt like he was the only one fighting this fight. For years, he would have all these legislative defeats. And after one such defeat, he went home. He was tired, he was ticked off, but he pulled out his Bible. You know that's a good thing to do? When you're feeling that press, when you're feeling that pressure, let the Word speak to you. Let the Word rearrange your, your attitude. Okay? Well, he pulled out his Bible and, and, and a little piece of paper fell out of it. And he picked it up and he looked at it and he saw it was a note that had been written to him a few years earlier. And it was from a man named John Wesley who started the Methodist movement, who was one of the, the, the first revivalists that we know, who would travel by horseback all around, and they wouldn't let him preach in churches, so he preached out in the open, and he saw thousands of people saved. And he wrote a note to Wilberforce just as, as, as he was beginning his political career and just beginning to, to push the, the issue of slavery. And what Wesley wrote to him was, if God has not called you to this task, to stand against the abomination of slavery, which is shameful to Christianity, to England, and to all humans, you will be overwhelmed. If God has not called you to this task, the evil in men and the devils themselves will destroy you. But if God has called you, if God has called you, who can stand against you? Are any of these stronger than our God? No. So when you go, you go in the power and the anointing of our God. Here's the end of the story. Fifty years in Parliament, 
Wilberforce served. And he only saw one, one legislation get through that really changed much, but it didn't abolish slavery. But he never lost hope. He kept pushing. Eight years after he retired, slavery was abolished in England three days before he died. Three days before he died. Sometimes we pray, and if God doesn't answer like that, we're like, God doesn't love me. <laughs> he does everything for everybody else, but he won't do anything for me. There's something about faithfulness. There's something about perseverance. There's something about holding on, no matter what it looks like. Because the fact is, even if our tribulation stole our physical lives, if we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we win. We win. No force in hell can defeat you. Going back to verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you were rich. The church was in poverty because they refused to compromise. The church was in poverty because they refused to sacrifice to Caesar. The church was in poverty because the, the people that, that, that served God there couldn't hold real jobs. I don't think any of us have ever suffered through something like that. Staying in verse 9. And the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now, this is almost rude. I mean, Jesus just... <laughs> Just said it, said it like it was. The slander of those who say they are Jews, but they are not. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the Jewish congregation there in Smyrna, who once again were very wealthy merchants. So to be very wealthy merchants in Smyrna, what did they have to do? Sacrifice to Caesar. They had compromised. And now they're seeing these, this group of Christians that refuse to compromise. And Jesus said, that's not even a real synagogue. That's a synagogue of Satan. So the Jews stirred up all kinds of trouble for the Christians there. They said a lot of things. I know we sit around and go, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. Because <laughs> your bones will probably heal, but those words, they go deep, don't they? Yes. And the Jews begin to stir up things. They said a lot of things about the Christians there, but the one thing that I think was the worst was they accused the Christians of being cannibals. Because when they took communion, they said, we're eating the body and drinking the blood 
of Jesus. So they stirred up the population against them. So now, not only could they not hold decent jobs because they refused to sacrifice to Caesar, but now they couldn't even sell or even buy because the population didn't want to have anything to do with cannibals. So do you see the poverty? Do you see really what's, what's, what's going on here? So you have a destiny, and the enemy will fight you every step of the way, and his tactics have not changed. The number one thing he wants you to do is compromise. Compromise. In some area of your life, compromise. And at the same time, he's stirring up lies against you that question your identity. The lesson we should learn from Smyrna is that when we are faithful, Jesus is there. Jesus is there, and he gets involved. So in verse 10, what did Jesus say to them? Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Well, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Do not fear what you're about to suffer. And they're going, I thought we were suffering. I thought we had already been going through persecution. I thought we were already going through something. And now Jesus is saying, don't fear what you're about to get into. Have you ever been in that place in your life and you're trying to fight for something? You're contending for something. You're really staying in a place of prayer and you just feel that pressure. You feel that pressing. You feel that crushing. And then it gets worse. Then it gets worse. But Jesus was faithful to let them know something was going to happen. You know, if you stay close to the Spirit of God, He'll warn you about things, He'll tell you about things, He'll show you things. You know, several years ago, I was, I, I was fighting a, a deadly sickness. You know, it all started. The Lord told me something was about to happen, that the enemy was really going to attack me. And in that moment, because I was arrogant, I went, bring it on. <laughs> I got this. And I got it all right <laughs> for about 10 months. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw you into prison. Now, for the, the church at Smyrna, that might have been a physical prison. That's not usually the case for us. But he will try to throw you into a prison in your mind, in your emotions. A prison of a, of a place where, where you don't have provision to do what you feel that you need to do. And you feel like you're in this place, this prison. I can't get out. I don't know what to do. But Jesus even goes on to say why you're being thrown into prison. That you may be tested. Wow. But who's doing the testing here? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you said Jesus is always the answer in church. 
Behold, the devil is about to throw you into prison that you may be tested. Who's throwing you into prison? The devil, not God. Why are we being tested? So we'll know what's inside of us. There is no testimony without the test. Right? And I've said this for many, many years. Faith without test is theory. We can talk about everything we know. And I can go through all the courses. Look at me, look at me. I got degrees hanging on the wall. Maybe there are letters after your name. Doesn't mean anything. Faith without test is theory. Because when we're tested, what comes out? Even Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. When you get squeezed, what comes out? When you feel that pressure, what comes out? Well, out of the church at Smyrna, there was faithfulness coming out. And he said, it's only going to be for 10 days. In Hebrew speak, that's a short time. 40 days was a long time. You notice how many times it says in the Bible 40 days? Because that was a long time to, to Jewish people. He said, it's only going to last for 10 days. It's going to be a short time. You know, that sickness I went through was only, only 10 months, but compared to my whole life, that was a short time. But even if we suffered something, now listen to me. This, 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 this is where we have trouble sometimes. I have trouble with it. What if we suffered and never saw the deliverance of it here? Does that negate the word of God? No. But this whole life that we live, 80, 85 years, whatever we get, is but a short time compared to eternity. Compared to all the time that we're going to spend with the Lord, worshiping him, anything that goes on in, in this life is but a short time. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. Don't back up off of anything that the Lord has promised you or that he is speaking to you. I was laying in the bed when I was sick, and there was one night I was getting kind of grouchy. I'd been going through this for months and months. The doctors could not figure out what was going on with me, and I seemed to be getting worse and worse. They kept telling me, just go home, you'll get over it. They lied. But I was laying in the bed one, one night, and I'm talking to the Lord, and I, I was complaining. You ever complain to the Lord? That's the right place to complain. And the Lord said, I need you to be faithful. And I said, I need you to be faithful. He said, you're contending for something you don't even know. Sometimes we're going through something. Sometimes it feels like we've been thrown into prison. Sometimes we're under the test. We're feeling the pressure, but we're really contending for something. Wilberforce, what if he had died six days earlier? So he died three days before slavery was abolished. I'm glad he got to see it. And I'm sure he said, my life is done. 
But so often we don't see everything. We don't understand everything. We don't know everything. And that's the place where we just have to say, God, it's yours. I don't understand why I've prayed for years. I prayed for years for my father, yet he died of a terrible disease. Does that mean God is no longer Jehovah Rapha? No. I don't know. There's something there that I don't know. We'll know one day. But that cannot shake everything that I believe. God, you're good no matter what it looks like. God, you're good no matter what it feels like. God, you're good no matter what I'm going through. You're not just good when it feels good. So don't back down. Uh, there was a decade called the 80s that had awesome music. Thank you. I want to read you the lines from a song from the 80s. Sang by a man. Uh, yeah, you don't want me to sing. A man named Tom Petty. Listen to these lyrics. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. No, I'll stand my ground. Won't be turned around, and I'll keep this world from dragging me down. I won't back down. What a godly attitude from somebody that probably didn't know God. We have to have that heart. I don't know Tom Petty. I'm not going to judge him in, in that sense. The man has, has passed away. But the world sometimes, they say, like, I can do this. I can fight my way through this. If I just grit my teeth hard enough, I can get through it. But no, when we, as born-again believers, say, I won't back down, what I'm really saying is I'm standing here, but there's someone standing behind me. Because there's nothing about me that the enemy's afraid of, but he is afraid of the authority that is in you. He is afraid of the one who has anointed you and called you. And his greatest fear is that you realize he's really already defeated. So verse 10, second part of it there says, be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. Hold on, even when there seems to be no hope. Hold on. In Romans 4, verse 18, it says about Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope. Now, that doesn't even seem to make any sense until you understand what he's saying. In hope, in godly hope, he was standing against the hope of this world because this world will say, there's no hope. It can't work. With Abraham, they were talking about him being, being a father in his 90s up to 100. There's no hope of that. But in godly hope, in hope, he stood against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he has been told. What has God spoken to your heart? There may have been something that God placed in you even as a young person. And now you're no longer young. Do you hope against hope? Well, if it was ever going to happen, it would have already happened Nope, that's not the way God works. 
God usually shows up just about the time that everybody else says it's never going to work, it's never going to happen, and then God shows up and shows who he truly is. When there seems to be no hope, your hope has to be in God. Finishing verse 10. Be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful, and I will give you the crown of life. You want to talk about the ultimate participation trophy. Just show up, be faithful, and you get the crown. He didn't say you had to be the best at it. He didn't say you had to win every victory. He just said, be faithful, and you're going to get that crown of life. Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. He gives power to the faint. Those that have fallen over. He gives power to them. There's nothing left of me. I am faint. I am weak. I am without. That's why uh, Jesus told Paul that in your weakness, man, I'm strong. When you realize your limitations, that's when I can really come through. And he who has no might... No might. Now, I did not do a, a word study on the Hebrew word no. I'm just guessing it means none. He who has none might, he increases strength when you're faithful, when you just hold on. All right, I'll finish with this. There was a man named Clarence Jordan. Anybody know who this is? Good. This is going to be a good story then. There was a man named Clarence Jordan who had two doctorate degrees, one in Greek and Hebrew and another in agriculture. Now, of all the things in the world he could have done with those two degrees, nobody expected him to do what he actually did. He moved to Americus, Georgia in 1940 and he started a, a, uh, basically a, a farming community. And he would bring in the poorest of the poor. Didn't matter uh, what race they were you, were, you were welcomed here. They would build a house for the family, and they would work the fields together. For 14 years, Dr. Jordan worked this dream. And there were blacks, there was whites, they were working together. They're, they're owning their homes, which is something that was, that was difficult to do at the time. But unfortunately, the 40s and 50s in, in Georgia, was, was, they were not the most progressive, let's put it that way. The thought of blacks and whites living together and working together offended their genteel nature, I guess. And in 1954, 14 years, they'd been working on this. One night, the Ku Klux Klan comes in, runs everybody off at gunpoint. 
Leave or you'll die. Leave or you'll die. They ran everybody off and they burnt the community to the ground. Burned every house, every barn, every building. The next morning, a reporter from the local newspaper went out to the site. Now, this man happened to be a Klan member himself. He was also a deacon in the local church. Don't get me started. <laughs> Don't get me started. Ugh. But he went out to the site. This reporter went out to the site. And he saw Dr. Jordan out there. And in a very arrogant way, he said, well, Dr. Jordan, you've spent 14 years on your little project here. How successful do you feel now? And Dr. Jordan turned to him. He said, it's not about success. It's about faithfulness to God. When the word got out what had happened, people came from near and far. People came from all over the country to rebuild this community. They built back every house, every barn. It's still there today. But it didn't stop there. They started building houses for poor people all around the world. Then they gave it a name, Habitat for Humanity. In this life, you will have tribulation. What Dr. Jordan went through was tribulation. What those families on that farm went through was tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. What pressure we may be feeling, whatever we may be going through. The faithfulness with which you walk through it, God will take notice and it may just be for somebody else too. Do we love enough to be faithful so someone else can see the love of God? So what I want you to know, faithfulness matters. What do I want you to feel? Hope and courage that Jesus has overcome this world and through him so will you. What do I want you to do? Stand your ground. Don't back down. Even in the face of the gates of hell, don't turn around. Because all of the authority of the kingdom of heaven is backing you up. Man, that was a great place to say amen. Listen, listen, listen. All of the authority. Who has all authority? Jesus. He did. He said, I have all authority in heaven and earth. And I'm giving it to you. You go. Go make disciples. Take the authority. Take the authority. All of the authority of heaven is backing you up. Stand your ground. Don't let the enemy push you around anymore. 
Don't let that lie come to you and try to question who you are in Christ Jesus. Who are you? I'm redeemed. I'm a child of God. And do you know how powerful that is? How powerful it is that God didn't just say, hey, you come be my followers. He said, I'm bringing you into the family. When we say the name of Jesus, what we're really saying is the family name. In the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. Take the family name. And when that pressure comes, you stand against it. You be faithful. You be faithful. We're going to be faithful to take communion this morning. And as we do so, does everybody have the communion elements? Does anybody need? Raise your hand if you need one. Okay, everybody's got one. As we take communion this morning, we all have life going on. Yours may be more pressure now than some other time, or or, or maybe at this moment you're having a mountaintop experience. But we all have life. So as we take the bread, I want you to just think about how faithful Jesus was. How faithful was he to go through everything that he went through for us? If at this time in your life, you're in one of those seasons where you feel like you've been thrown into prison, you're feeling the pressure, you're feeling like I'm right in the middle of the test, as you get ready to take this, I want you to recognize that he was broken for you. He was broken for you. His body was broken so you could receive strength and healing. So Lord, I like to hold it up. You can, you can do it too. Lord, thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ that was broken for me, broken for my healing, broken for my, my body to be whole, broken so that, that my soul, my mind, and my emotions could be whole and healed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for stopping by that whipping post for us. And if you've got something going on in your life, just as you take this, you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
If you don't have something going on in your life, you just say, thank you, Jesus, for everybody that's going through something. I'm going to stand with them. So let's take it together. So this is the part that always gets me. My body could be broken, but I could still go to heaven. But without the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on that cross, that purchased us, that paid the price for sin, we're going nowhere. Well, we'll go somewhere, but not where we want to. So every time I come to the blood, I'm like, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. Can you just say that? Thank you, Jesus, for the blood, for the blood. Thank you for shedding your blood to pay for my sin, to purchase me so I could come into the family of God, so I can stand in a place of authority, so I can be faithful. Thank you. Thank you for your blood. Let's take it together. Would you stand with me? You know, at New Covenant Church, we say it doesn't matter what your story is, you're welcomed here. Doesn't matter if you sin differently than me. We're not going to point fingers. What we're going to do is offer you an opportunity to connect with a God that wants to set you free. He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to bring you into a relationship with him. And then he wants to begin to mold you into the image of Jesus. There's always things that are going on. I'm going to ask the the prayer team to to come down. I don't want to ever assume that because we're in a, a congregation on a Sunday morning that everybody, everybody is in a relationship with Jesus. I sat in church for almost 20 years of my life. But I didn't know Jesus. If you have never, ever taken that step, or maybe you just have questions about what it means, these people down here can pray with you. They can talk to you. If you're in a relationship, you know, you know that you know that you know. But your relationship just feels weak right now. It doesn't feel strong. It doesn't feel as alive as it has been. He didn't walk away. We got distracted. We would love to pray for you there too. If there's anything else going in your life, if you, need, if you need prayer for healing, if you want to pray for someone else, the prayer of agreement is powerful. 
So I'm going to invite you to to come and let someone pray with you and for you. All right. Father, we thank you. Lord, we don't take it for granted that we live in a nation where we are free at this time to gather together to talk about the good God that we serve. Lord, before we walk out of here, we take the opportunity just to worship you. You are good. You are good. Lord, you are so good. Lord, I thank you that then in, in all of my insignificance, I get to fellowship with the God of all creation, the God of this universe. Lord, you have invited us to know you and walk with you, to be with you. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. Your goodness is overwhelming at times, Lord. You are so good. So good. Lord, as we go today, let us take a little more of your presence with us. Let us be a little more aware of who you are in us and through us so we can begin to be the body of Christ, the true church that takes the gospel to people. Be a going church. Go and love people in Jesus' name. Love them, love them, love them, Lord. That is our our desire and our heart. Lord, we give us you. And thank you in return, you've given us you. Let us never forget it or get over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. If you need prayer, you can go ahead and start coming down. Thank you for being faithful with your tithes and your offerings, your giving. We love you guys. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Have a good week. Have a Jesus week. How about that?